Okay. Now this this is going to be a hilarious. This could, this could be very anticlimactic. How how am I coming through right now, folks? Because in the middle of our bumper, in the midst, you can't hear me. You should be able to hear me. Is Matt messing with me? Okay, I think I'm being ribbed. These pieces of shit. We can hear. Okay, we can. Fuck us. All right. Okay, in the middle of the bumper, um, in the mid, in the midst of the bumper, it told me that I had a zero connection and I couldn't even click on anything. I was trying to put your comments in the chat. I think I got some up. I think I did, but I don't know. Streamyard is being very strange. A moment ago, I couldn't. It was I couldn't hear the bumper, so then I was delayed. Nonetheless, I'm here. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Wrestle Dream in the books. I've just finished the show uh, around half an hour ago here, maybe a little longer. It was very, very special. AEW pay-per-view, which we say an awful lot, but this was a unique one, I thought, in terms of its kind of vibe and feel um, for a range of reasons. So we have a lot to get into. This is going to kind of be hangout vibes. I'm not going to go kind of, you know, match by match in order so much as we're going to just kind of talk it through. As a collective, myself and the Grinners, uh, and of course, my trusty, Pepsi Max, right now. Let me just quickly. Um, I appreciate everyone that informed me you could hear me because genuinely that was a good bit, and it was all the grinners too. Look at this bullets. I told you he trained them correctly, brother. I told you the LNG dojo pays off. It's, the young fellas were immediately chipping in on that. Um, okay, let's get into it. Wrestle Dream, um, a pay per view that had very high expectations. Right, it was a great lineup, and I think there was a lot of optimism about what this show could be. And it was kind of a one of those. It was one of the rare AEW shows in recent times, anyway, where the the discourse, quote unquote, wasn't dominated by the perceived issues with the build. So it meant there was kind of a positive outlook going in, and of course, there was also the looming um, threat or or promise of. Adam Copeland, depending on which side of the fence you're on in that debate. <laughs> but uh, there, was, there was a lot going on. It was a card that had a lot of promise, and I think it's fair to say it delivered in a major way. So I'm going to do this the way I did Wembley, if you fellas don't mind. You folks don't mind, I should say. In the chat, favorite match on WrestleDream. I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is going to be for this, the consensus answer. But I haven't really been online for obvious reasons to avoid the spoilers. So... Um, I think I know where we're gonna go, but I want to see what I want to see what the answers are. Hold on. Well, I may be wrong because the first four answers are Swerve and Hangman, which I mean, fair enough. Okay, now it's kind of Cage and Derby, Zach and Brian. Okay, it seems like we've generally trended the way I expected, but that was an that initial burst caught me off guard. All right, let's get into it. Before we do, no one gun call one of my favorites. Resubscribing was for fourteen whole months. It says the big cope. Is back. I, I did see a few people message me that uh, they have he has trademarked cope, which means there we are in play. Our potential catchphrase of cope with it is in play, which is which is extraordinary. Um, okay, let's get into it. Brian Danielson, Zach Saber Jr. Now I want to stress, folks. I just watched the show. I have no notes. We're just going to talk graps here, but it watching the first time round. It honestly felt like the kind of match that's going to be talked about for many, many years to come. 
Um, I really felt like watching it, this is going to be the match that fans point to. This kind of entire generation of wrestling fans are going to point to as the heart of this particular genre, right? And now I understand the genre will not be for everyone, right? It's a lot of mat wrestling. Obviously, they veered beyond that. Of course they would. They're, you know, Brian's arguably the greatest wrestler ever. He's ex Super Junior's no slouch in his own right. So they obviously veered beyond that. But they delivered when it came to the mat wrestling that we kind of hoped for. And let's be honest, the way this was built, right? The two of the great technical wrestlers ever, the two guys who have dominated that conversation for the last couple of decades. Um, they gave you that match. You know, it would have been it would have been foolish to try and overly subvert expectations with that. They hit the mat and they wrestled. And it was a beautiful watch, man. Just incredibly seamless. John Moxley and Nigel McGuinness did a fabulous job of painting the picture best they could without kind of, if you went blow by blow on this, you'd honestly been wasting your time. It was so just fluid, you know, um, absolutely rapid action from, from one transition to the next, a counter to another counter. I mean, just seamless stuff. Um, it really was a wonderful watch. And then they started going beyond that and they picked some individual things to kind of focus on to give it some juice and substance beyond just the action itself and the action itself is fabulous but to me the match gets more interesting the deeper they get right you, when you have zach target in the arm which is an easy i mean they had to go to that <clears throat> and he sure did target i mean there was a few moments in there that were like actively gruesome as, as he went in that direction and dragon has wrestled since he came back as basically a one-armed man which made it even more potent and even more striking as zach went to work on that arm um and then in response, Brian started chopping away at the legs, and I thought Zach did a really good job of, of selling those in a way that was befitting the way he wrestles. It's a difficult balance to strike. I think it's something that he's actually struggled with through the years, but I thought he kind of nailed it here. Um, he's much better at that in the last few years in general, I think. I think, honestly, all over, he's been much more complete over this last few years. Um, as someone who didn't actually love his work in like the mid-2010s, for example. Uh, so Brian chipping away at him with the low kicks, and it, it quickly went from this kind of showcase of technical brilliance to something more grueling, something more enduring, something more physical and gritty, and that's where Brian, I mean, to me, that's where he's truly masterful in his ability to do so many different things all at once. You know, this is not a, a wrestler who, you see sometimes young guys who are trying to be versatile, they'll wrestle a match that is specifically intended for you to identify as this is the technical match where they're going to do the mat wrestling. And then another time, this is the brawl. Brian Danielson can do that. Of course he can. That's easy for him. But the real brilliance of Brian is the way that he can blend those things together. And the way that this could be violent at times and, and physical and hateful even as they got late in the match. Um, just extraordinary effort. I could have watched them wrestle all night, to be quite honest with you. I was almost disappointed when the... Uh, when, when the finish arrived, I was, I was ready for them to keep going. That's how good this thing was. It's one of the best matches of the year. It is <clears throat> an instant classic, an AEW match that will be remembered for a very long time. And honestly, more broadly than that, it's a living, breathing kind of example as to why AEW is so important for American pro wrestling. Because it's just it's something that only they really could bring to a, uh, to a stage such as that. It was very, very special. Uh, I was the best match on the show quite comfortably. And I loved a lot of matches in the show, especially two others, which were brought up frequently in the chat. <clears throat> but I thought this was a different level. This to me was one of the best matches of the year. So um, wonderful match. Happy for Zach Sabre Jr. to get 
that kind of spotlight to showcase what he can do. Um, obviously, it's not news to most of the AEW audience, but there are still people, I think, that this will be you know, eye-opening for them. And honestly, looking even beyond that, it's a legacy-defining match for Zach, right? At this point, let's be honest. I mean, that's a big deal. Just Brian Daniels in Seattle and tore it up. So a classic. Absolutely loved it. Um, we need to cherish these Danielson matches while we get them. Okay, second up for me. I think I'm going to go with Hangman and Swerve as my two seed uh, for the night. Wonderful atmosphere for this. I'm sorry, folks. I'm missing all of your chats. But I have about an hour, and I'm going to try and get my get my you know get my shit in, and then I'll, I'll circle back if I can. So I apologize if I'm missing anything um, particularly, uh, you know, timely. But nonetheless, incredible atmosphere for Hangman and Swerve, and it gave the match a real main event feel that I was really pleased to see they matched with their wrestling. I, I thought they did a really good job of embracing the crowd reaction. Hangman specifically leaning heel, not in a sense of how he conducted himself so much as the way he wrestled. He gave Swerve a mountain to climb. He gave him hurdles to overcome throughout the match, and he let the people cheer Swerve, even if eventually he was going to take a shortcut or two to cross the line. Um, more than that, though, they had this really impressive kind of main event pacing and rhythm, and it felt like a world title match. And, you know, that can be... In the wrong hands, that can be a real issue, striving for that as the third, fourth match of the night, whatever this was. But honestly, they really pulled it off because the people viewed it as that big of a deal, and they treated it that way. You know, They took it very seriously. There was obviously some great fireworks. I mean, the swerve stomp on the apron was just horrifying, frankly, the, amount, the short amount of space he had there. Um, but it wasn't a match about the moves to me or the, the creative sequencing, which it equally, easily could have been, and that would have been great too. But to me, this was a... This really packed a punch and felt big time. And I think that's in a lot of ways more important for Swerve as a guy who's, you know, I keep using that phrase as of late, of crossing that bridge from, you know, mid upper mid card to main event status. And um, I think it's really important for him that it felt that way and it felt like he could be main eventing shows. He came across great here, but again, Hangman really positioned him to succeed and did a remarkable job. We need more Hangman singles matches. Um, he is one of their most versatile guys in that regard, and we don't get nearly enough of them. So hangman and swerve killed it they were my second favorite match of the night and again that's quite a feat because there was an awful lot to like on this show but uh yeah i'm looking forward to a rematch i'm sure we're gonna get a stipulation match between these two at some point also they got it completely right i i loved it swerve he belonged in the big time so to speak so hopefully he stays in that tier and hangman can be rejuvenated alongside him so great stuff from swerve and hangman um elsewhere Third up for me, the main event, Christian Cage and Darby Allen. So much here, and I need to rewatch it because it was an extended match, and there was a lot of different kind of set pieces and such at play, and it was one of those things, right, watching live, by live I mean 20 hours later, um, I wanted to just kind of lose myself in it. So, I, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of a blur in some ways. But through like a four and a half, it was like an NWA World's title match. And, and they were taking their time. And Christian Cage is just like a genius, you know? Like, it's honestly extraordinary. You just watch him. And again, I'm just watching it like loosely. But even still, you see all the little details. He has such poise. The people were, re were with Derby, but they were tired. And in a less experienced wrestler's hands, as the heel who was shaping and, and deciding the pace of the match, he could have got a little antsy with that, with the two out of three full stipulation, but he trusted, they, he knew where they were going and he knew where they were ending up, the people were going to be there by then. 
and it's like it's the smallest things right like there was one moment in the match that just stood out in my memory which was the people um there was like a very faint let's go derby chant i believe it was it may have been christian so it's one or the other it's very very faint and christian was getting the heat on on derby and christian stopped and looked looked in the direction of which the chant was coming from 10 seconds later, the whole building was chanting, let's go Derby or Christian Stokes, whatever it was. And it was a great example of like understanding and being truly alive in that moment and being present in that moment and what you can get out of that. That's not a bump. They took some of those later, no doubt. And Derby was taking some hellacious ones throughout. But it's just a great reminder of how simple wrestling can be. And if you just pay attention, it makes it so much easier, which has been the story of Christian's run. Um, of course, Derby is unhinged, uh, like just a truly demented bumper. I don't know what's wrong with him, honestly. It's, it's genuinely insane. The one he took last night on the side of his arm um, was like gruesome doesn't do it justice. It was absurd, horrific. Um, so, yeah, love the first fall, second fall uh, with the count out, and then you kind of, with that, you had the escalation naturally into the third, the, uh, you know, the, the big frog splash spot that kind of transition you into that, that kind of shootout race to the finish they had. Um, and of course, in the, the headlines were stole immediately afterwards and, and rightly so by the big debut of, of Adam, Adam Copeland. I had to stop myself from saying Adam Edge because we've said that for the last six months on the grin. Uh, but man, they really delivered on a main event that like, let's be honest, they, that was a tough spot to be in. That was a hell of a show. Um, and you know, what they, three hours, including the pre-show, they were like four hours and 30 minutes <laughs> into the show. Um, so they had a pretty big task in their hands with two out of three falls. But I thought they killed it. They absolutely got the people. And uh, I can't wait to rewatch it with a more analytical eye because it was very much, you know, I just was trying to enjoy it. And I certainly did. So one of the ways, just, you know, aside from the match itself, I want to credit to AEW and Christian and Derby for actually having a feud with this too. Two singles matches, sure, but they've had a bunch of interactions beyond those singles matches, and it's nice to have that. Like, I'm not saying that to suggest they never do those, but I do think too often great wrestlers just do like one and done's in AEW, and that's it. And uh, I know they go the other way at times and do those feuds that go on forever, but I, I thought this whole piece of business had really worked. I thought it was very, very effective. So, good stuff. I have concerns about Nick Wayne wrestling as a heel. Anyone who's watched me talk about this before knows this. I've mentioned if he's I, I don't really know how he's going to do that. Um, but he's got Christian Cage in his ear, so maybe we'll be okay. Time will tell. I was not particularly encouraged by his initial <laughs> um, theatrical display here, but hey, you win some, you lose some. Anyway, they did this kind of extended setup for for Adam Copeland, who got a thunderous reaction as per usual. It will always be funny. Always be funny. Um, when a save like this happens, because in kayfabe, uh, the this man has made a motion picture and saved it to <laughs> saved it until Sting is seemingly on the verge of, of being murdered. <laughs> Everything before this, he was like, I don't know, man. I think I've still got some still got some juice left. Wait, wait out. But that's wrestling. Uh, it got a great reaction. They they teased some of the Christian Edge stuff that we're going to be getting a lot of and. Of course, he eventually took his side, and we set up a few different things. I know they're going to do the Luchasaurus singles match. They're going to do a trios match, I'm sure, at some point. Um, you know, I said this before, and I, I stick to my guns on it. 
I got a lot of things wrong, but I stick to my guns on this. This the edge punk thing, I honestly think is going to be like a direct trade in more ways than we can imagine, which is incredibly funny. Um, considering that we're in 2023 and that is a real thing that I said and I'm sticking by it. I think Edge is going to slot into a very similar role, probably with a whole lot less drama surrounding that role, but I think he's going to slot into a similar role nonetheless. So I'm I'm intrigued how he does. You know, we'll kind of just stop there and talk about this a little bit because I do think it's interesting. Sorry, folks, and I'm going to mile a minute here, but I just watched a wrestling show that was very good. Um, Edge is never going to be someone you question the motivation of because I think it's been very clear throughout his entire combat run that he's always incredibly desperate and takes, like, you know, to deliver and takes a lot of pride in his work. I think sometimes that's been to a fault where he has kind of over, you know, pondered things to a point of, of uh, being a detriment. Um, he's clearly capable of having good wrestling matches. You know, I think he showed that with his last run as a babyface, the last year or so, I think. I know he had a good match with Priest. Um, I didn't watch the Grayson Waller match, but I'm told it was good, and he had a great one with Sheamus. Uh, that is, while kind of conceding, that I do think there is room to be concerned, not in a safety kind of, uh, you know, not not in the kind of concerned for his health way, but I do think there's room to be concerned about his ability to perform as a full-time talent. Um, again, not playing safety police because he knows his body. I, I don't even, you know, that's his business, but... It did look as though in the last couple of years, his better performances took an awful lot out of him. So when he says full-time, I hope that means more as a character that wrestles once a month rather than, you know, a guy who uh, is wrestling frequently because I think that could be an issue genuinely. I, I don't know if he's physically able to do that, but he probably knows better than me. So nonetheless, I think it's a great example of why competition is so important in wrestling, right? Important in wrestling, right? It's genuinely... Um, an embodiment of it. Edge is a guy who I think in WWE had clearly done everything that could possibly be done. He's a guy who really, to me, it was either retirement or like, you know, you do the one last run story, which they didn't seem interested in telling. And suddenly in AEW, even if you're not a big fan, there's something, there's stuff to be interested in here, right? There's matchups that are they're enticing or at least unique and have a novelty to them. Him and Christian speaks for itself, but, you know, I saw some of the names he threw out there and yeah, there's some intrigue there. You know, I'm not a huge fan by any means, but I do think we underestimate how popular he is among the WWE hardcores. And I say that kind of to avoid the word loyalist, but I guess I should have said loyalists. Um, I don't even mean that as a slight, like, you know what I'm saying? Like the fans that love WWE more than anything else love Edge. And you would hope some of them will follow him and see how he does in AEW. Do I think it'll be like a huge shift in terms of numbers? Um, no. But in perception, it's always a win, right? When you get a legend like that, and if he can deliver even at a decent rate, uh, you know, I think it's a positive. And even behind the camera, he's he's a guaranteed hit, I think. I think he'll help them out a lot in that regard. So him and Christian, like low-key, look for them to be very powerful, I think, in in, in AEW. Like I, I think those two dudes are so respected and kind of, kind of command respect with how how they conduct themselves and how their wrestling brains are kind of viewed across the business. I think they've become a very powerful duo in AEW, which I think would probably be for the best. So that's something to follow. Um, but I'm excited. Certainly. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I'm excited more from perspective of, you know, as just a fan of wrestling, see how he does. I'm, I, I don't have a particular amount of investment in it. I just want to see what it looks like. So intrigued. Matt brings up in the chat that he said Samoa Joe first, which is also a good way to start. So, 
We'll see, we'll see how that looks. I don't quite know in 2023, 2024, but I've doubted the big man enough at this point. So time will tell. Um, happy for him, though. He looks super, super excited. Okay. I'm intrigued. I've talked about the big three. Chat. Favorite match out of the three I talked about. It may not have been in your, it may have been in your top three, the match I'm, you know, asking for. But I've spoken about the three big ones. Chat, you tell me what you want next. Let's, 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 have, let's have a look here. Nice house in attendance here this evening. I appreciate it, folks. I, again, I'm sorry for missing all your chat, all your chats, but um, FTR, Jules, Jules, my God, there's a real range here. Hmm. Okay, let's go with the first one and I'll work down. Jules and Staff is getting a lot of love and, and rightly so. So, Julia Hart's improvement has really been quite staggering. And, you know, honestly, I, we had a lot of fun with, like, the idea of Julia Hart being good. But I, I've got to be real in saying that if you'd have told me, um, you know, two months ago that I would be as impressed by this push as I have been, I, I'd be very surprised, honestly. I, I didn't think she was ready for this kind of for this kind of usage. But she's really done a good job with it. And almost all of the real matches, in fact, I would say all of the real matches in that little run, have delivered. This was no different. It took them a while, I thought, to find a natural kind of rhythm and dynamic between each other because Chris is a powerhouse and uh, and Julia is doing a gimmick where you don't really want her to be like a chicken shit, right? Like she can play around with that with Brody, but it's just it's an interesting thing to navigate against such a powerhouse like Chris. Um, but with that being said, Julia is really doing an impressive job with making up the difference in that regard. And while she's never going to be, you know, Kawada, she's really trying her absolute best to make sure her stuff looks good. And she's focusing on the offense that she can do that looks sharp and crisp. And she's bringing as much physicality as she can bring at this point in her career. And it shows because it allows Chris to sell without completely killing, you know, her stature and her standing. And I thought that was noticeable here. And it was noticeable in the Willow match too, who's also a powerhouse, right? So Julia is really helping her opponent by bringing it in that way. And honestly, I wish that was more commonplace among young wrestlers. <laughs> it's, it's sometimes it's simply just whacking people and she's trying her best. Um, so big thumbs up in that regard. Once they got into the kind of finish, you know, for want of a better term, was when the match really started clicking because the people were kind of able to tap into their natural instinct and want Julia to win quietly. <laughs> people love Chris. It was never going to be like, a, you know, if, if Julia loses, we riot. Um, but you could tell there was like a sentiment in the building of people that were kind of like, I kind of want Julia Hart to win this match. And they ca- they tapped into that with some of those late near falls. The, the moonsault falls finish late got an incredible reaction and kind of organically built this excitement that produced like, this is awesome chance and, and so on and so forth. So I've always really effective match. In terms of its like overall quality, I thought it settled at good. But good on a pay-per-view like this, in that kind of situation where you're you're kind of in between all these, you know, career killers, is a serious feat. And I don't know how long they had. It seemed like they had like 10 minutes. They made the most of their time. Chris Statlander is in the midst of one of the finest AEW title reigns that anyone in the women's division's ever had. She's delivering opposite basically every opponent. Um and, you know, I, I think really she needs to be looked at again and kind of already is, but I think it's, she's reiterated as of late. She's one of the centerpieces, right? Like she absolutely is one of the people you have to build around. When she first came back from injury, there was a natural 
an inevitable kind of like, you know, you tell she's shaking off the rust, but, uh, but yeah, she's, she's on fire right now. She's in the form of her life. And, and Julie was no passenger. She was right there along for the ride and, and made it work on her, you know, on her own uh, merit. So good match. Liked it a lot. Crowd loved it. Excited to see how Julia evolves over the next decade of her mainstream wrestling career, which there's no reason it can't be that if everything goes, you know, as it should. So it's uh, it's pretty exciting, really. It really is. Okay. The other match was suggested was the FTR, right? FTR was their one. Let me scroll up a little bit, folks. I'm sorry. I'm going a mile a minute here. Um, here we have Eddie Shabbat. Okay, let's do Eddie Shabbat. That came up more, I think. So you guys may have heard on one of my 28 preview shows that I was a little bit unsure of how this would look. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know how it would like come together stylistically. I do think sometimes folks lump together the Japanese wrestlers in a way that kind of, that <laughs> that's kind of odd to me. And I saw a lot of that when people were previewing this and predicting this. And I do think my point played out on the show, but my conclusion uh, was was kind of on point in the end. Thankfully, I wasn't completely off my rocker in the sense that these two are smart enough to figure out a marriage there. And so what they kind of settled into was an idea around Shabara basically stretching Eddie on the mat, which was the part I couldn't piece together in my brain in case anyone was wondering what that looked like. And him kind of just, you know, forcing Eddie to all these submissions and all these rope breaks, which Excalibur did a good job of kind of highlighting as a, a difference from the pure rules that Shibata has come used to. Uh, but Eddie having these kind of windows of opportunity as they traded blows and kind of um, being given an out based on just the kind of pride and ego of Shibata, basically, right? The, the kind of refusal to concede in those strike exchanges. And so you had these moments where they would go bomb, they would trade bombs and, Shabar could hang in that scenario and it would be a back and forth shootout. But really, anytime they hit the mat, you'll notice Eddie didn't have one offensive moment on the mat, which again was the perfect way to kind of navigate that stylistic uh, clash. And I thought they did a really good job of it. It's one of those interesting pairings where it's like, you know, Shabar obviously isn't where he, where he was. Um, but in a weird way, Eddie's simple kind of uh, raw ingredients, like the way he he operates, I thought kind of showcased what Shibata still is better than any other match he's had in this kind of US run. Uh, I thought he was superb here, honestly. And again, I think a lot of that's because it was very much a simple match in terms of the content and it let the quality of that work speak for itself. Shibata's kicks were tremendous. His mat work obviously is still pristine. So I thought it really came together better than I expected. Crowd loved it, had a great atmosphere of the dueling chants and such. And I honestly think should have opened the show. I thought it was the perfect way to kind of kick off the show tonally. Um, and let's be honest, it basically did that in second because the, the opener was not really a... I mean, it wasn't really much of a match in general. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thought we had a lot of spirit and emotion to it. And, and it was very sentimental to watch, honestly. I, I loved Eddie and Shibata. That would be my fourth favorite match of the night, personally. Um up next, the FTR, which I see in the chat, is, there's been a lot of different opinions about, and I, I was informed once I got back online that there was like a, a lot of different takes on it, uh, which is which is totally cool. I, I get it. And I also understand that a lot of you watched it live, and when you're watching a show live and you're four and a half hours into it and there's a 10-minute heat segment, I get it. No arguments from me. I got to say, I thought the match was really good. Um, 
And I think you guys know me well enough to know that while I am biased to FTI in terms of their my stylistic preference, many of their big matches I've happily come out and said didn't work for me. Um, this one did. I thought this actually was really damn good, and that doesn't mean it was the right match necessarily, because I do think they should have worked a more fiery back and forth 12 to 15 minute match that was, you know, um, heavier on action rather than try to extend the heat segment because the heat segment was an issue and, and it definitely tested and, and kind of lost a lot of Seattle after that much wrestling <laughs> coming before it. But nonetheless, I do think it has to be said they did get the people by the time they reached beyond that. And I thought they did a good job of kind of, you know, steadying the ship and getting on track by the end. I thought it was actually really enjoyable. Um, Aussie Open, one thing I was concerned about with this match, this is not about them as talent, but I do think this was relevant here. Aussie Open's TV presentation limited how big a deal this could feel to folks that were in, in attendance, I think. Because while not like, you know, Shibata may get a huge reaction about being on AEW TV a lot, but he's a legend and there's like a reputation there and a legacy. Aussie Open really haven't been done a great deal of favors by the TV usage. And I think that showed on some level because FTR are not as hot as they were. And so you have the match that late in the show and it's kind of the natural match for people to take a breather in, you know, because there isn't, to the live crowd, it didn't have a big fight feel. It didn't, ha- it didn't ha- you know, pack that kind of punch. So I do think that became evident, especially during that heat segment. Uh, but man, I think the work here was still really good. Davis and Dax are always bring it in terms of the physicality when they get in there with each other. Cash Wheeler was bumping like a madman. Appeared to hurt his ribs at one point. Mark Davis certainly hurt his wrist. I hope he's okay. I think I saw he did a tweet. He's broken his wrist. So all the best to the big man. Um, man, I thought there's a lot to like here. And again, not a perfect match. Certainly, probably, you know, I mean, honestly, not the right match for this moment in the show. But I thought just on the quality of the work and, and the kind of ideas, I thought they ended up treading in the right direction and really pulling it off. Uh, I thought it was very good. I, I did. So it is what it is. Um, Bucks FTR up next. Um, I totally understand why folks have kind of lost interest in that at this point. We'll see. I mean, I think it may be the main event, honestly, in LA, which is going to be, you're going to need to heat that up some to get the people where you want them to be after four hours of wrestling. Cause you know, we just kind of, we have an example here, but uh Surely it will have a more juice than it had at Wembley, right? Surely. It has to, doesn't it? I don't know. Nonetheless, I really like the FTR match. Um, Golden Trios. Let's get into that. I don't think that's... I saw Reese said I was higher on the Golden Trios, but uh, that's very, very me peeled grabs. Honestly, you're probably the consensus. Um, I I don't really disagree. I think he's pretty much... Pretty much you know, even for my money. The FTR match was more my my style in terms of the way it was structured and paced and laid out, even though I, I just conceded it was absolutely not the right match for Seattle. For me personally, it was. The trios match, I thought, had, it took a while to get going, and I thought the finish was overly elaborate and kind of lost itself there at the, you know, with the kind of interference and Osprey and Aubrey were kind of jumping ahead of their spots and making everything come to a halt. It was a little bit clunky down the stretch. And uh, that kind of took away from the fact that I thought the middle 15 minutes of the match were actually terrific. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it really was a great kind of 
all-star trios. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't love the way it started or ended. So for me, it would it would fall behind uh, the FTR match, which I kind of thought weirdly was the opposite. So it's a it's a taste thing. Um, yeah, it's a lot of bucks talk. I mean, I mean, I think I understand why with bucks and FTR, there's always like weird connotations that come with every decision but honestly FTR come November would have had the belts for like seven months Dax probably needs to chill for a couple months after that anyway because he looks pretty beat up to me and the Bucks haven't had the belts for what we at now 18 months like I I really think it's probably you know the right call to run back with that I'd rather they do it as heels but you get what you get I suppose we shall see and I definitely do get this. They're like they're definitely not red hot right now by any means. But that's why I'd prefer this hill turn. I'm not sure if Hangman's gonna turn with them. I know my friend Charlie's very convinced, but I'm not so sure. Uh Bing Bong, am I being too much of a bootlicker to suggest the Golden Star may in fact be back? I think you are, yeah. <laughs> it depends what you consider back. Like you know, like can he can he not like embarrass himself? It seems like it. But I I don't know if it goes much beyond that, unfortunately. His kicks look better, I'll say that. He uh he still fell down a couple of times from memory. Definitely one time, I recall. But you know, it is what it is, right? I mean he's uh he's he's wrestled an insane style and he's in his forties. I don't think anyone can really begrudge him it. He was better here, so good for him. Uh, and and honestly, they kind of protect him in the match, if we'll be honest, right? It wasn't like he was particularly present in it. Jericho was, God almighty, he, Chris just refuses to concede on his limitations, and you have to respect it on some level. Him still doing the spot where he goes over the top rope and climbs up for the double axe is just extraordinary. And I will say, to his credit, Lions all looked pretty good last night. It was the first time in a while he actually got some height on it. So there's that, and uh, yeah. I, I like I like the trios. I like the FTR match more personally, but I think the if I was being objective, I think I would concede the trios match was a, was a better fit for its place in the show and therefore more effective. So you get what you get, I suppose. Okay, what have we got? Chat, what else should I talk about here? We've got like another 20 minutes to hang out. Yes, this was not the Sammy performance they were looking for, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't really know what uh, – I mean, I don't want to – you know, at this point, the Sammy thing's like – you feel like dogpiling, but I just – I don't really need to see him in this role much longer. But you get what you get, I suppose. Okay, this is true, actually. He's full ruled because he tripped on the backflip and to catch the load of the clothesline the entire – he did load it up. You're right. Here we go. Claudio Castagnoli and Josh Barnett. <clears throat> so – I don't know what I honestly saw none of the conversation about this when it was announced, but this match graphic got me fired up in in deeply dangerous ways. Like partly because Zero Hour made it seem even more perverse and sick. It was kind of disgusting that you booked this, you know. So I mean, this is revolting stuff. I mean, putting this out there just for us fucking freaks to get excited about. Barnett just strolling out there with his. With... <laughs> I mean, this is. This is the game I love. And again, this is AEW at its weirdest. And, and I mean, that's a compliment because it's just like just the idea of flinging Josh Barnett on a graphic. I mean, like he's wrestling Claudio. I don't know, man. Fucking roll with it. It's on zero hour. Tune in if you want. 
and Moxley's out there marking out on commentary and Jim Ross has actively claimed the role of pre-show announcer so that he can call his friend Josh's match. And Barnett's out there and he looks kind of exhausted, but he's just a fucking animal and he's, you know, they're grappling and he's throwing these low kicks like Pedro Hizzo. Pop. He's throwing palm strikes. He's kind of stumbling into clotheslines. It's gritty. It's nasty. He gets the mic afterwards and just does like a, you know, post-fight post, post, post fight interview like he's in the, the octagon again. The crowd don't really know what to do with it. They stop booing. He explains it's his hometown. They cheer again. Ten people chant blood sport. I mean, it doesn't get any real in this. Everything I'm describing here is this is professional wrestling. You know, it's, it's as good as it gets. Um, this was the absolutely perfect match for a pre-show in that the crowd had no fucking clue what to do with it. <clears throat> they sat in mostly silence and applauded a couple of times. And no one was hurt. No one was harmed. We just got some some good old-fashioned shoot-fight graps in the name of Antonio Inoki on our zero-hour program. Glorious. Love this match. Genuinely was probably my next favorite match on the show. I don't know what I've forgotten or missed, but genuinely probably was my next favorite. Uh, I would really like us to get like a Barnett match every, you know, every two months. <laughs> Just like a bi-monthly rampage. In fact, scratch that. They should have fuck blood sport. <clears throat> there should be a rampage every like two months that is basically blood sport, but with all elite wrestlers, which is still blood sport. But you could go to like somewhere weird for it, get like a small venue that looks like shit and kind of, you know, is breaking down. And you have Josh Barnett cut one of those awkward promos to start the show. And you just let him make a list. You know, you just let him make a list. What kind of perverts do you want to get in there and grapple? You know, who are we talking about? Who, who's going to get busted open while, while grabbing an arm bar? And these are the kind of things I'm, I'm looking for. You know, I see a match with Moxley. That has to happen. That probably will happen. I see a match with the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. I see a Samoa Joe match, and it, it does things to me. I, I just, I mean, they've got about four minutes in them, Joe and Josh. Right? They're gonna, I mean, someone's going to get busted open there, right? I don't know. There's money in this, folks. And by money, I mean there's a good 250,000 viewers for an episode of Rampage. Let's fucking go. I'm ready. I'm fired up. I'm ready. I'm all in. Um, I really like the match, sincerely. Okay. Ricky and Utah. Beautiful. Let's talk about that next. So this was exactly what I expected it to be. Which, before I go any further, freestyle wrestling match. That was that was clearly what it was designed to be and what we described it to be on Friday, Thursday, whenever we did that preview. However, I thought this was very encouraging as to the mid-card pay-per-view match that I think AEW has slightly lacked historically. Because it's great to have every match swing for the fences and try to maximize its ceiling. It's, that, that's absolutely great. And, you know, it's uh, it's produced some of the finest pay-per-views in wrestling history, no doubt. So I'm never going to dismiss it as like a bad idea. But there is something to be said for a 10-minute match in the middle of the card where you get a guy a win, they keep it competitive, they keep it tight, and they just grapple, you know? They just go out there and wrestle. Keep it, keep it firing. 
And I thought they did a really good job with this. Um, Ricky Starks appears to have been inspired by his encounters with the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, and he's hitting harder than usual. He really brought it here in that regard, and you was happy to play ball as he always is in terms of bringing the physicality. And I thought this had a real fire and intensity to it, especially early. I thought they lost it slightly um, down the stretch, ever so slightly, not, not much at all, but ever so slightly before they lost it. But early, it had a real fight and feel to it. And even though the match didn't really have any heat because the people know this is a match that's not really of significance, it's something that I really hope we can see become kind of commonplace with these mid-card matches. Because even though you're not swinging for the fences and trying to have a match that's going to transform your, you know, your catalog by any means, there should still be a quality of work and a standard that is expected and sustained at an AEW pay-per-view. Honestly, I think an AEW TV, but definitely a pay-per-view. And too often when guys are put in matches of less importance, things get looser, there's a lot of space, there's a lack of urgency. And I didn't see any of that here until, again, a smidge in the final act. So again, this is a three-star match that will not be on anyone's year-end list, nor should it be. It's one of the worst matches on the show, quote-unquote. But it was the exact match they intended to have, and it got Ricky a win while giving you a good opportunity to wrestle a singles match on pay-per-view. Moxley framed it well, I thought. Thumbs up, everyone Everyone gets something out of it. 10 minutes of wrestling. I was I was a big fan of this, clearly, even though I can see it's just a good wrestling match. So I liked Ricky and Utah um, quite a bit, obviously. All right, I think that leaves us with the Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Does that leave us with that? Is there anything else in the main card? Because I'm willing to, I, the only other pre-show match I saw was the Athena business, which was... Fabulous scraps, and I had a wonderful time. And Athena is just what an absolute treasure Athena is. Just having a blast, man. It's so fun to watch as a fan. Um, in addition, I think Kojima should honestly stick around and work kind of frequently in in the converse, as I have now decided I'm going to call it. I think everyone else calls it that previously, but I've now decided to pick it up, so it's mine, uh, the converse. So, yeah, Kojima should stick around. Keith Lee is very funny. Shane Taylor looks like he's in the best shape of his life, for real. Shout out to him, the big man. He looks like, he looks a lot, honestly, looks like he's got himself in better condition, which I'm happy to see as a fan of his. Um, the, the, the gear is still not a home run, but I think it's better, so I'm really happy for Shane. I hope he can continue to kind of get these spots. Really, really thrilled for him. Okay. The Maxwell Jacob Friedman wrestled the Righteous in the All Elite Wrestling Wrestle Dream pay-per-view opener. And... Uh, So there's a lot here, and I think it's worth looking at the full picture. There's a lot to laugh at here. Let's be frank, there's a lot to laugh at here, and that's a good thing. It's always good we have an ability to laugh at these things, and there is something undeniably funny about committing a month to building up the righteous only for them to lose this way (laughs) to MJF. Not just lose this way, but be like a full-on slapstick, you know, heel comedy act. Incredible. MJF is um, a throwback in that regard. However, the issue with that was that while funny, it is less funny when watching it, I, w- I would suggest, and I would, I would, uh, I would claim. Now, I don't know what you all thought. I'm seeing in the chat there's a lot of um, 
Well, there's there's not so much excitement, if I'm being honest. I was going to say it's split, but it's kind of one way. Uh, I thought this was pretty bad, to be honest. I do appreciate the way that MJF like works the live crowd because it is quite, it's kind of, I mean, it is impressive the way he gets so much juice out of these simple things. And I know he's proving a point with it and making like a elaborate gesture with his, with his feats of popularity. But I mean, once you see him do it a few times, it does kind of, you know, it, it does kind of lose its shine a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I didn't think this was much good. I was the worst match on the show by a comfortable distance. That's again, I didn't see two of the matches on the pre-show, so I don't know. I can appreciate what Max is doing while at this point reaching the conclusion. I don't really like it. I enjoyed the Joe match very much because I thought Joe kind of grounded it and gave it a grit and a physicality that's been lacking otherwise. But this is not my favorite version of MJF. And honestly, it felt like it was on its own show last night, which I think is... Can be good. There's, you know, varieties of spice of life. But at the same time, it felt kind of jarring on this show for me, and that's been an issue, I think, with Max in some ways. So, yeah, I'm not sure, folks. I'm not sure. I, I totally concede it's over, and I'm, you know, we're the minority, as Jack Crosby said. But I'm not really into this current approach. I, there's room to be theatrical and silly and and do shtick, but it's kind of becoming his entire performance at this point. So. I'm not a huge fan. I thought that was the one miss on the entire show for me. So uh, there is that. Okay. <laughs> Questions? Anyone in the chat? We have a question here about the NXT. We couldn't get to this. Chat, I've got like 10 to 15 minutes. If you have any questions about professional wrestling and Wrestle Dream in particular, I will try my best to answer it. Um, okay. Don't have an out asked. Not distract from the AEW grins, but you see any of No Mercy? And can we discuss the pride of, a of AWA? Tiffany Stratton. So I saw three matches. I saw Trick and Dom, which unfortunately was rather bad. Uh, I love Trick as a prospect. and I, He pops me very much, but this was an eye-opening for me as who hasn't watched him a lot as to where he's at in his, in his career. Uh, that match was worse than I anticipated, unfortunately. You get what you get, I suppose. But the people liked the finish, so there's that. I saw Ilya and Carmelo, which I thought was great. I'm not as convinced as others are that it was better than the first match. The reason being that while I appreciated they focused in on the the two best things in the first match were Ilya beating the hell out of Melo and then the big bombs finish stretch. And this match was those two ideas making up two different halves of the match, which is a good idea and worked definitely worked for the live crowd. The, the second part of that, the finishing stretch, I thought when went far enough that the finish to me almost was like more of an exhale than like a the biggest explosion of the night. So I've always great, but I thought it was on the same level as the first rather than being better then, um, which is not a, an insult by any means. Becky and Tiff Strat was very good while still containing almost all of the things that drive me completely fucking insane about WWE plunder matches. So on two occasions, people brought down like a, group, a collection of weapons by people, I mean, Becky and Tiff, a collection of weapons. And they both did this deal where they used the weapon once and then threw it down to get the other weapons. So they could like tick off the weaponry. And it's just, it loses like all of its gravity when you do stuff like that for me. It's just, it's not my thing, but I thought we had a lot of ideas, some hit, some miss, but they put so much in there. 
anytime it missed, you kind of had no choice but to just like move on to the next thing because that's what they were doing. So just through pure spirit, effort, and enthusiasm, I thought it was a hit. I uh, I liked the match, even if it had some quirks that were, you know, what what I kind of feared would be in there. But that's kind of who Becky Lynch is as a wrestler. Like she's not someone who's you know, without bad instincts at times or bad ideas, but she kind of broadly understands wrestling to a degree that allows her to swing big and usually hit just on output. Um, and so I, I thought that was kind of on display here, but I liked it. Tiff was very, very, her toughness was was impressive too. She got juice in like the first minute of the match. It was very funny. Okay. Matt, he said, I wouldn't have an issue with it if he wasn't the world's champion. That's regarding Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Um, what's next for Vincent and Dutch? Bing bong, I must know. Might be over, bro. I ain't gonna lie. Might, it might be over. That was, that was something else, man. Bro got his head rammed up. Big man's ass. Tough. Tough going. I will say, like, sincerely, is I... I don't think they're that bad, but the reaction they get in the building thus far is fucking outrageous. They don't, they get like, it makes me uncomfortable. Genuinely uncomfortable. Would Jimmy Butler be a good wrestler? Absolutely. Yeah. God, imagine him with wrestling politics. He would fucking pop 50. Did you see the Brian Pumi Jr. vignette? I did. Good for him. More mocks and knives on commentary together, please. That was awesome. That's, that's your future uh, commentary team right there. Who is the clubhouse should win the belt of Max in the Holbert verse right now? I'm locked in on Switch, even though I know it won't happen. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm on Switch like very soon, but I don't think it will happen either, sadly. How bad was Charlo this weekend? Very bad. That was a non-event. Not a good watch at all, unfortunately. Uh, Swerve is the next world champion, 100% if you watch the presser. I did not watch the presser. That's interesting. I'm sorry you had a she weekend. A week, sorry, Cody. I'm glad you enjoyed the graps. It's great to be a wrestling fan, man. Seriously, I mean, with what we do, you you have to you have to kind of be you know critical at some level and be analytical and nitpick like I just have for the last fifty two minutes. But it really is a good time. I, I I try my best to keep that perspective. You know, it's great escapism. You think Nigel can ever be cleared to wrestle again? Yes, need Dragon Nigel. I think you'll get. It. I think that's the thing that we'll get. Not you know maybe any time. They may wait all the way to Wembley, but I think you'll get. It. <clears throat> I'm, I'm curious, what do you think Ilya's ceiling there would be as we know historically how they treat smaller guys? Mid-card work great champ, I think. Which is, I mean, honestly, is probably what I would do with Ilya too. And I know that he's like very, very popular and among our audience and basically every online wrestling fan, which I get. I don't see him as like a world champion on that stage, as good a worker as he is. So I'd say he'll be an Intercontinental champion, something in that in that range. Uh, I mean, he's great. Obviously, he has he does some things that drive me nuts, as I've mentioned before, but he's very, very good. So I think he'll be okay, even if not a world's champion. Anything you're looking forward to at Royal Quest decided to make the trip down for it? Honestly, the main event is is the thing for me, and more specifically the fact that it convinced my folks to go with me. So for the first time ever, Mama Holbert's gonna see a wrestling show, which is very, very funny that Zach Saver Jr. and Will Ospreay convinced her whereas AEW all in at Wembley Stadium did not. So for me, it's more that experience. Like, I don't really expect to like a lot of the wrestling matches on that show. There's a couple I think will be very good. The, uh, you know, excited to see Luke Jacobs again up close. I've seen him a couple of times live. He's wrestling Shingo, I believe. No, he's wrestling, uh, 
Who is he wrestling? <laughs> Ishii's wrestling Shingo, I believe. Who is Luke Jacobs wrestling? I stopped the who is Luke Jacobs there, which was an insane question after I announced that scene in WrestleLife. Who is he wrestling again, chat? Now I'm forgetting who, what the card even is. I know Trent Seven's on it, which is enough for me. I know that I, you know. Suji, thank you. Good Lord. Getting old. Uh, so, yeah, for me, it's just the experience. Honestly, I, I'm slightly concerned. I just really hope we're not surrounded by assholes. That's my only thing, you know. I mean, my dad will be fine. He's your fan. But, yeah, I'm excited for that. Uh, if you see me, I'll have an 8 by 10 I won't, but I'll, I'll be around. Dutch for the host division with Vincent as his manager. Look, man. I mean, you know. You get what you get, I suppose. It's a good, it's a good act for the Honor Club. You try out for Impact Gut Check when they go to the UK. <laughs> uh, you never know. Never say never. Over under five. How many wrestlers will call him Edge on TV? Under, but I think we'll get to three or four. Good question. Is it okay to campaign for Christian Cage as world's champion? Brother, is it okay? It's encouraged around here. We need to get to work on this. We need flags. We need banners. The whole deal. Dave said Becky Tiff is the best women's NXT match since Sasha and Bailey. No, but if he wants. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is Ilya is again, that's that's basically where I'm at. He's very, very good. He's he's like mannerism stuff are a lot for me, but I get that's the exact same reason he's someone else's favorite. It's just a taste thing. <clears throat> Did you see that the Tony Khan? Is interested in Nakajima. I did see this. What is the funniest match from the book him in, and why is it Paul White? I mean, it's it's Paul White, but if we're being like more realistic, it's QT as like the Rampage middle match. You know, the match that gets like cut by ads. That's the match, right? Like doing like a Harley Cameron interference spot. Solo hits him from behind. You know, this is fun. I mean, that's about as funny as we can do. Or just Aaron Solo. That's funny too. Suji and Jacobs, thank you, chat. Um, Trinity is working the Impact Glasgow show. God bless. I mean, you can have a hell of a time. You think Edge being full-time is legit or Tony speak? Um, somewhere in the middle. He'll be full-time, but full-time in AEW is different to like full-time elsewhere anyway. Because there are a lot of guys in AEW who are full-time who we still only see like, you know, once every fortnight and wrestle once a month. So their their whole operation is just different that way, right? Like, I mean, you Kenny Omega, if Tony was asked, would, you know, he would say he's full-time, and he is. But, you know, because of where Kenny's at physically, it's not like you see him wrestling on TV every week. That's just not kind of how AEW functions. So they should be able to protect Edge, and he can be full-time without, you know, being really full-time because that doesn't really exist in AEW beyond, like, a Darby Allen who works every TV show because he's a sicko. Okay. Max called him Edge at the presser. Banner night for the Freedman. Um, what do you mean? He's this is true. He is the world's champion. Christian basically declared he was the actual world champion of Scrum. He is accurate. MJF versus Christian Cage would be very funny. That would probably make a lot of us grinners like kind of sick individuals when we're honest. We would probably lose our mind with the campaigning for, for Christian Cage. So Nakajima is totally going to the World Wrestling Federation. Don't get too excited. That would be even funnier. So 
Maybe it's worth getting excited. Could you imagine Nakajima on Miz TV? The game I love. Incredible, incredible content. I saw the Christian Brown Alvarez thing, Cody. I've not seen the whole scrum yet. Christian, this is a great comment. Christian is one of the few heels who just lies. It is very underutilized these days. <laughs> yeah, it's like everyone is it's such an elaborate art form now. Healing that folks have got you just lie. <laughs> you get the same response. Good call. Edge versus Garcia on AEW Nitro is all I ask. All in. Uh, Reese is doing just five guys propaganda. I love the concept of a show dedicated to Anoki. Enjoy the ceremony. Me too, mate. If we give it a really nice flavor. Uh, what else we got here? Christian Cage on another level. Factual. Edge versus Moxley is going to look like a murder scene. God bless. I want to see Mox in those kind of in one of, in those kind of uh, you know prize fights. You know, I mentioned to the fellas over there. I want to see him and Joe. And I want to see him more in the role of shit tall crew selling prize fights. I'm, I don't really need to see him as a work rate mid card champ. I don't think that's his best usage. I think it's big fights. Give me those. Okay, Nakajima going to have the low key Fed run. Very funny. God, that's incredible. Who are the equivalent of Lakeall now? That's the real question. We haven't even spoken about Christian appearing immediately after Anoki's grandkids on the pre-show. An extraordinary bit that entirely baffled my father. Just no clue. Probably for the best, considering what the bit is. All right. So now, that's probably my new personal best in terms of words that I have jammed into an hour. I mean, that was... I feel like I need a deep breath after that. That was a lot. I was talking a lot there about wrestling. I do like it, though. It's a good thing. All right. Folks, here's the deal. I'm going to head over here momentarily in the next 20 minutes or so. I've got to upload this and do all that good stuff first. But in 20 minutes or so, um, I'm going to be heading over to Respirators Worldwide. If you'd like to join me to hear the exact same topics discussed there, please do. If not, God bless. Uh, where is this in the AEW pay-per-view pantheon? I don't think it's as hmm, It's probably on like the... I don't think it's in the top three... I think it's in the top three. It's in the next tier for me. That three probably being, don't hold me to this because I'm doing this off the top of my head, All Out 2021, Full Gear 2021, I think, and Revolution either 2022 or 2023, one of those two. I'd have to revisit them. It is also different because like, as good as this crowd was, there was definitely like a, honeymoon period with some of those shows and like the excitement and the, it's very hard to recreate that I think personally but maybe that's cope as Adam would put it I don't know I agree the big three matches right there I thought it was a great show I, I loved the show so I, you know even if I didn't think it was in that top tier off the top of my head I, I have no real issue with it other than the righteous match which was funny in its own right so worldwide okay so this week I don't know what else is happening. There may be nothing. I'm not sure. Um, but coming up this month, we have Grin Grab Beretti Guerrero. We're going to do a Havoc Grin Along, I think. We have a Halloween Havoc draft program with our friend Chris Bordheim. And in addition, this month's episode of the Late Night Grin will be a draft show in which we'll be drafting in totality, not in individual sections. We'll just be doing a big time draft. I do not know which Havoc yet, Joe. It is the 2nd of October, and most of the things I just said of the first time I thought about them in the last week was when I said them. But 
Um, we're trying our best here. So, <laughs> so nonetheless, yes, that is going to be interesting. Tuesday Night War. That's going to be very funny. There's actually some potential for content with that, but we'll, we shall see. All right. Grinners, I appreciate you. Thanks for joining me on such late notice here. Nice to just kind of spend an hour talking about the graps. I apologize for rambling and ranting at such a rapid pace. That it was probably difficult to follow. These are the games we play. I'm headed over to Worldwide. I appreciate uh, your continued support. Thanks for showing up last week for our, our three different shows. We had a great time. Um, and we're still rolling here in our part-time schedule. Unlike Adam Copeland, we are not conceding to the masses and going full-time. Nope. We're having fun rolling like this. So been a wonderful time. I hope you enjoyed the show, uh, both that one and this one. Keep grinning. Oh, how? And enjoy this outro, folks. Have a great night. 